Hawks Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Brought to you by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Paul Moyer. Hawks Live every Thursday right here from Lumenfield on 710 ESPN. I'm Michael Bumpus here with Paul Moyer. And folks, this is our last Hawks Live on Thursday of the season, Paul. It happened so fast. It's been a good year. Yeah. You know, the Seahawks, it's a great year. Nine and four. We'll talk more about is that uh, an underachieve, overachieve, where they should be. Um, it, it's been a good year. But this Thursday show, it really, it's it's my most fun day of the week. I'm with you. Yeah. You know, I got my good friends. I got NASA. I got you. We're talking football and we got a good show tonight. It always helps when they come off a really good win. Yes, it does. And the Hawks beat the New York Jets 40-3. to The offense looked good. The defense looked good. People are going to say, Paul, oh, well, they only beat the Jets. Who, what did they do? Well, they beat the Jets 40-3, to and that's the Jets' worst loss. They also, again, beat the Jets 40-3. to That's their biggest win since 2012 when they beat the Cardinals 58-0. to Beggars can't be choosers in this situation. <laughs> like, you got, you got to take this win. What do you say to all the people who are doubting the Seahawks right now or just really critiquing them tough right now? It, what's interesting is – the Jets had came off a game a week before where they should have been. Now, the game was over. They, the Raiders. They, they, they're, they're, the Raiders, the game's over. They're going to win, and, and Greg Williams does the dumbest thing in the world. He does a zero blitz, nobody in the middle of the field. He's got a free agent guy, you know, probably played three games all year. Who, bites who really is a, a safety. Who bites on a, a double move. I go, dude, there is no double move when you're trying to f- defend the goal line, right? Exactly. But whatever. They they should have won that game. So coming into it, it wasn't like – and even the three games before, their worst loss was 20-3 to to Miami. Yep. So they were playing well. No one – and I, I'm going to just chalk this up to 2020 COVID freaky year. There's been so many things freaky yeah. that people just say, let's start with the negative. Mm-hmm. The negative uh, was the Jets yeah. instead of, well, look what the Seahawks did to them. And so how about this? Because I, I, I did something with Dave Wyman earlier today, and he similar question, uh, it's their competition. They played the Jets, the Giants, and Philadelphia. I go, okay, well, let's, let's increase the sample size. Let's go back five games. Go back that's five. really when things started to turn around. And the first game was against Arizona. Do you remember what where Arizona was ranked offensively when we played them? Numero uno. Bingo. The big number one. And then we played the Rams. Where were they ranked? Top five. Bingo. So is that a better sample size? I think it is. Okay, so let's look at that sample size. Because over the last five games... The Seahawks have averaged defensively 285 yards a game. And if you were to put that into today's rankings, that's Umro Numo. Is that what it is? Number one. Uno. Yeah, I can't do the <laughs> my, my Spanish isn't that good. So, number one. Yep. Yeah. Um, if you look at points scored, 16 a game, that would be number one as well. And then first downs, 18.2, that would be number three. What I know is the last three games, though, mm-hmm. which I they, there's a, a website you can go to. The last three games, the Seahawks have averaged defensively 
241 yards a game. That is number one over the last three games of any team in the NFL. The points scored, 12.3. That is number one in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And then first downs, 14.3. That's number one across the NFL. The reason why I'm bringing this up is remember where we started. Started from the bottom, now Dead we're here. Last. And historically bad, right? Historically bad. First eight games, we were giving up 455 yards a game. That was that, dead last. Is that a lot, Paul? Yeah, it's a, it's a bunch. We were giving up 30.4 points a game. Mm. Not dead last, by the way. It was 30th. <laughs> and then 28 first downs a game, dead last. So I, I always say it's not how you start. It's how you finish. It's not your competition. You still got to beat them and beat them bad. So I, I, I'm really excited where our defense is going right now. I like where the defense is right now. Let me flip this around All for right, you now. All right, flip it. Flip it what you so, got. here we are now. Offensively, last week it felt so different. Yes, it did. And, and some of it was tempo. Ball was coming out quick. It felt like the beginning of the year. Because you can't always look for the explosive play, right? The big play. Mm-hmm. You, you get five, six of those a game. That's 10% of the plays. You know, they're going to come through the course of the game. What felt different to you last week? Um, it was the offense taking what the defense was giving them, right? If, if I am game planning for the Seattle Seahawks, I am game planning for the deep ball, for the play action, DK running a post, Lockie going across the middle. So that means that initially I feel like teams are going to come out and they're going to give them the five to eight yard routes, that cushion. And it seemed like they took it. I charted the, the very first drive. It was a quick – no, sorry, excuse me. It started off with a zone, then it went to a quick, then we saw a screen, then we saw a jet sweep, then we saw a reverse to Pinar. It's like cool. the versatility. Yeah. Now you now you have the defense on the hills. They're like, we don't know what the heck they're going to do. We didn't prepare for this, Coach. You said they were going to go over the top. That You said Lockett was going to fly across the middle at 20 yards, and we didn't see any of that. That's what I liked about the offensive approach. And then Russell Wilson is getting the ball out quick. Like you mentioned off air, the tempo seemed good. They're getting on the football. Now – for folks listening, tempo doesn't mean that you're getting a playoff every 15 seconds. Yeah. That means that when the ball is down, you are the guys are lining up on the ball quickly, and then you can assess the situation and see what's going on. So that's what I enjoy the most about that game. So now let me ask you something. People were calling for Ken Norton. Ken Norton, he, he needs to be fired. He's not doing this. He's not doing that. Pete Carroll had to come to bat for him and say, look, it's me too. He, he stood in front of his boy and took some bullets for him. That's what loyal people do. Now, now, what what's the perception of Kid Norton to you right now, and what should it be to the rest of the people listening? Well, I, it goes back to accountability, that accountability meeting, which you know, I, I, part of me is like, ah, yeah, it's, yeah, I've been in a million of those meetings, so I, but there's something different about this because I think everybody bought into it, and that was, hey, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter the years you played on this team or in this league, whether you're an All Pro, Hall of Famer, rookie, does not matter. You are all accountable to each other, and we got to play team defense. And that, to me, is where it flipped. Yeah. Because I don't think we're necessarily calling things different. We're, we're still blitzing yep. um, at a higher rate than in years past. It's 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 not crazy. We're middle of the pack, like 33 34%. Um, I, I think it still needs to play out, but, wow, the trend is so good. We, we were – historically bad the first on pace to be the worst defense of all time we're now 27th in the league and i was looking at the teams ahead of us if we we do well this week which i think we will against Mm -hmm. washington they're not a great offense or they're a good offense but they're not a great offense i think san francisco is certainly struggling we'll see how the ram game plays out 
we got a chance, and this would be nuts, if we crack the top 20. But even if we get down to 22 from where we started, to, to dig ourselves out, uh, he's certainly not going to be the defensive coach of the year. But it's certainly the second half. He probably should be defensive coach of the year. But he saved his job. People can stop asking oh, yeah. for Kid Norton to be fired. Yeah, and I, remember what we've done. We basically have a whole new secondary, other than Griffin. And Diggs was part of our team last year. You know, but you got Jamal Adams. You know, we brought in Dunbar and then that Trey Flowers. Now we got Reed. I mean, just that alone, a whole new defensive line. There's no OTAs. There's basically no camp. People think, oh, we'll just put them on the field, plug and play. That's not how it works. That is not. And it's how why it works. defenses were so far behind at the beginning of the year. And the Seahawks, I thought, were even farther behind because. Because the amount of players that had to come into play. You, we're, I'm going to talk about this later, too. You go and look at the average age and number of years of guys starting right now. I'm not going to even give it to you. I'm going to tease this one. Tease it. Oh, it is low. Okay. So it, we're a very young football team that's starting to really understand each other and trust each other. It's This is an exciting football team right it, now. It is. I, I like the way they're playing right now, offensively and defensively. If anybody struggled a bit last week, it was the special teams because they gave up that big run, but they didn't score off of that run. So there's a plus there. So real quickly, let's talk about Washington football team. Six and seven. First in the NFC East. I look at this defense. Man, I've seen them in a bare front. They get into to 50 front, five guys on that line of scrimmage. They got a corner in Kendall Fuller who's good to go. This is a defense who can hang with you and can keep this offense, their offense, in the game. Now, you look at last week's game, they're going to look at it and say, man, that, they scored 23 points. Guess who scored 14 of those points for the Washington football team? <laughs> yeah. Their the, defense. The defense. All right, so the offense, I respect it. I look at Haskins. I look at Alex Smith. Haskins has arm talent. Decision-making is horrible, man. Uh, he, he plays. You see it. You see why yeah. he was drafted high, but his yeah. decision-making is suspect right now. Yeah, that, matter of fact, his first couple of drives after he replaced Alex Smith, I go, okay, I see why they drafted him. Yeah. I mean, he's got a good arm. He's accurate. And then all of a sudden there was two drives where I go, what is he doing? What's he even thinking there? And I hope we have more of those. We, we need those because if he's the first two series, it's going to be a tough game. They have a good running attack. They've got, they have got they can pack it with three tight ends and see, okay, we're going to try to muscle them in the run game. Um, they're, they're dangerous offensively. I don't think that's where they're going to beat us. But when you lose as much as they've lost over the last few years, you got a lot of high picks. I mean, they've got some guys in that front four. Uh, it's it's gonna be a it, this is gonna be a defensive battle, I believe. Yep, they remind me of the 49ers, how they're building their football team, starting with that defensive line. Yeah. But you gotta be basura—that's Spanish for it—garbage for you to get those uh, those top picks. That's what they've been the last few years. But they are back. All right, coming up next, we'll dive into the Seahawks' Week 15 opponent with Sam Fortier from the Washington Post, right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, brought to you by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company, every Thursday from seven to nine live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hawks live every Thursday, but this is the last Thursday from Lumenfield. I'm Michael Bumpus. He's Paul Moyer right here on 710 ESPN. And right now we get to talk to Sam Fortier from the Washington Post. Sam, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks for joining us. I feel like we do this every week, but we uh, we we appreciate you hanging in there. I know it's late over there. Um, the nice is getting started for us, so we appreciate you taking time out. Yeah, of course, man. Uh, as a former uh, intern in, at the uh, Seattle Post-Intelligencer, as, as, as someone who really loved uh, being in Seattle for a summer, I always got to make time. 
Boom. Let's go. I, I, I'm feeling the energy right now. All right. I'm feeling the energy. <laughs> hey, Sam. So, I mean, what is it like? It's like two seasons for this Washington football team. You start the season off, you're struggling, but now you guys are on a four game winning streak. That defense looks good. Unfortunately, um, Alex Smith gets banged up. We'll, we'll see if he plays this weekend. But what's the overall feel of this football team right now? I mean, honestly, man, in, in 2020, for everything to have happened that, that has with this team and, and just in the overall year, right? I mean, you start this year off, Ron Rivera's got cancer. Alex Smith, who, uh, you know, wasn't ever supposed to play again, comes back. And not only is he walking, not only does he make the team, he's playing. Uh, this, you know, this defense, everything that, that hasn't supposed to happen uh, has, and it's just really been a, a surreal experience. So I guess like every day you just show up to work and, and you don't really know what's going to happen. So I would have to say that, that this year's just been a, a crazy ride and I'm just trying to hang on. You know, the last set, it's not even the last four games. It's the last seven games. They've, they've won five of their last seven. And then you sandwich that a little bit. The two losses were by three points. I mean, they, they could be on a seven game winning streak. H- how does coach Rivera after that you start this season, keep this thing positive and moving in the right direction? So that's a great question. I think there's a really, you know, layered answer here. And I think you can kind of even go back to 2014 when he was coaching the Carolina Panthers and they were three, eight and one, and they managed to win all four games in December and make the playoffs. You know, you guys know, uh, you know, one of the only two teams to ever make a postseason uh, sub 500 record uh, with the 2010 Seahawks. But you know, I talked to uh, to some players and coaches that he's worked with before, Luke Keekley, Ryan Khalil, guys from his old Panthers teams, and they say the skill of Ron Rivera is standing up in front of a team that might be losing, that, that might be losing badly, and give them the consistent message that, hey, guys, we're going to turn it around. We just need to do X, Y, and Z, and it's going to happen. A lot of stuff needs to happen, but I think it will happen. And, and you know, I talked to a strength and conditioning coach uh, from the Panthers in 2014, and he was like, look, man, I'm a realist. I've been around. I've worked with more than 30 head coaches you know, in this game. And, and he was like, no one made me believe something could happen like Ron Rivera did. And I think you're seeing that now. And, and that's just how you know, he keeps his teams on track consistently because if you, if you look at his records, he's always good in December. All of his teams kind of rally at the right times to finish strong. And I think that's a byproduct of all the things that we just talked about. Is I, I'm going to take you back a, a ways. My first year with the Seahawks was 83. We had a guy, Coach Chuck Knox. And, you know, Chuck had taken many teams to the playoffs. We had a lot of talents. But we needed a coach or somebody to, to really get the players to believe we were good enough to win. Is, is that really the, the difference of this team this year compared to last year? Yeah, I, I think there is an element of that. And I think that, you know, a lot of teams, a lot of fans – and experts early in the year thought, hey, Washington should tank. Washington should, should do what they can to get a good prospect. And I think, you know, that's really popular now, right? Like the Houston Astros, the Philadelphia 76ers, those type of, you know, front office-driven models of let's lose and let's acquire talent. I, I think that has, that, that has really taken hold. But, but Ron Rivera kind of rejected that philosophy. He benched Dwayne Haskins after week four, the guy seen as the future, because he knew the locker room knew that he wasn't the guy to win. So I think, you know, one, Ron Rivera instills that message by telling them, but I think he shows the players through action. I, I don't care who you are. I don't care when you were drafted. A lot of coaches say that, right? But he backs it up with action. I mean, he took a lot of heat for benching Dwayne Haskins, but, but when you look at it, Kyle Allen at the time was putting them in the best position to win. Dwayne, uh, you know, Alex Smith now is putting them in the best position to win. So, so when you follow through with action, I think 
Ron Rivera, instead of a hypothetical prospect, he is prioritizing culture. And when he talks about culture, it, it's doing everything you can to win, including whether it's popular or not. And he's backed that up with his own action. Uh, so I think having more talent, being more cohesive, and being more consistent has sort of put the Washington football team where they're at right now. So it sounds like Ron Rivera ain't scared to make decisions. But you know what scares me? This defensive line, Sam. I mean, goodness gracious. And it's highlighted by Chase Young and Montez Sweat, but you still got Kerrigan. You still got Jonathan Allen. You still got Payne. It's a village when it comes to getting these sacks. What are your thoughts on this defensive line? Is this the best defensive line in the league, in your opinion? There are certainly some other contenders. I would say San Francisco went healthy. Uh, Pittsburgh obviously has a really good one, but I would I would say that right now they are making the case that that they're in that top three. Um, obviously, you've got the headlines taken by Chase Young, Montez Sweat. Those two guys have really you know ended the last two games. Montez Sweat with his his batted pass against Big Ben and the Steelers, and and Chase Young you know with his uh, with his fumble recovery touchdown to give them the lead that they never relinquished. I mean, those two guys are the headlines, but I do think. John Allen and Deron Payne get chronically overlooked, especially John Allen. Uh, I think that guy is balling this year. I mean, they switched from a two-gap technique to a one-gap, and and that's really highlighted. You know, I think the aggressiveness um, that they're allowed. You know, that they're now allowed to play with. Um, Tim Settle, even the the backup, they're so deep. Uh, Tim Settle has five and a half sacks as a <laughs> as you know a rotational defensive lineman who's playing like forty percent of the snaps. So. Uh, I think this defensive line, the depth, the the the, hot, the top line talent, and the new scheme that they're in has certainly maximized uh, what they have. They got some nice supporting pieces too, and there's a kid they drafted in the seventh round, Cameron Curl, and I, he's only got one interception, but boy, he pops on film. Talk talk about this kid. Yeah, and and this is really, I think, a realized story of a guy you probably don't get there without the pandemic. Uh, Cam Curl was standing in line uh, at an airport in Arkansas, ready to go to his his pro, you know, his visit with the Baltimore Ravens when he found out that the NFL was canceling all team visits. So his agent, you know, literally had to run through the airport to tell him not to get on the plane because he couldn't, you know, work out with the Ravens. So I think if that doesn't happen, if he has a, a full pro day, if he goes and visits all these teams, he probably doesn't fall to the seventh round, but, but now he does. And, and I think that you're right. He, he only has one interception, but he makes so many plays that pop on film. And I think one of them is at the end of the Steelers game, right? Like the Steelers got the ball at their own 25 and they had 50 seconds or something to score uh, or, or 30 seconds or something to score. And, Big Ben throws a pass that gets him to about midfield. But Kim Curl, who was playing free safety, he comes down and he actually adjusts. So his, his shoulders uh, on the receiver, he keeps his shoulders outside uh, of, the, of the receiver to keep him in bounds because they had no timeouts to keep the clock running. It's little things like that that you just see those minor tweaks and you're like, this dude was a seventh round pick. This guy is a rookie. How, how is he, He's you know, good. how does he have awareness? Obviously, you're going to get the mistakes. But but for heads up plays like that to happen consistently, you go wow. I mean, th- this kid really knows what he's doing. All right, Sam, I'm a receiver guy, and you guys got a receiver over there, Terry McLaurin, man, a thousand yards, three touchdowns, seventy three receptions. Man. He reminds me of Stephon Diggs when I watch him play. He reminds me of Stephon Diggs. Might be a bit faster. You guys have to be excited about this young talent. 
I mean, when you talk about, you know, real talent like that, it's been a long time since they've had, I feel like, you know, a, a top-line skill position threat like this guy. Uh, F1 is, is what they call him over here. Uh, I mean, he's got 4-3 speed. And, and really, the thing that, that's pretty remarkable is, is, you know, you have some guys who say the right things and, you know, oh, it's, it's about the team. But, like, if you ask him, you know, what is your favorite play this year, he would tell you it was a, it was a chase-down tackle that he made on Thanksgiving against Jalen Smith, the Cowboys linebacker, to prevent him uh, from, from getting, getting in a touchdown to take the lead. And really, the defense then makes a stop in the red zone uh, and, and kind of changes the momentum of the game. So, so obviously, you know, what he does, has been really impressive to watch this year. They're trying to line him up all over the field, bring him in the slot more, make him a true number one. Uh, but I think it's it's sort of like it's sort of like with Chase Young. I think that there are on top of the talent, they have the intangibles that, that Ron Rivera looks for when he talks about building a culture. Because I think we all know Washington has has much greater problems than just finding and acquiring talent. Right? It, it's a cultural makeover that they're trying to pull off here. And those two guys, in particular with, with, with Terry McLaurin, that's as much their benefit as their on-the-field talent. Well, I'm going to ask, since you started with the P.I., real quick, are you rooting for the Seahawks or, or Washington? <laughs> I, I'm just keeping it objective. I, I want a great game. I mean, here's the thing is, is when, I, when I think about this game, when I talk about, you think about you know, watching Russell Wilson come over here, I mean, I, I'm just real excited for, uh, for what I think is going to be actually a really good game. Hey, Sam, man, I appreciate you. Hey, you gave me a lot of Northwest vibes, man. I, and, you know, we appreciate your energy, you staying up and dealing with us. Um, hope you have a great weekend, and I hope that these Hawks get it done, man. Oh, man, I, I, I appreciate you saying that. I hope to get back to the Northwest uh, as soon as we can start traveling more, huh? Yes, sir. Talk to you soon, Sam. Thanks, guys. All right, coming up next, we'll chat with Seahawks defensive lineman LJ Collier right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, brought to you by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hawks Live every Thursday right here from Lumenfield on 710 ESPN, along with me, Michael Pompas, and my guy, Paul Moyer. And now we get to talk to TCU LJ Collier. How you doing today, man? I'm good. How are you guys, man? Hey, you know, we're, we're hanging in there, hanging in there. Hey, my, so my first question to you is, last season started off rough. I believe you had a high ankle sprain. You missed a few games. And um, I told people coming into the season, I go, man, LJ is still kind of like a rookie to me, like a rookie sophomore, try, really trying to fill the game out. I've seen your progression throughout this season. How are you feeling out there? Is the game slowing down? You feeling confident? What's your game like so far? Oh, yeah, I've definitely made strides this season from last year. Last season was, man, like, I wouldn't say it was like this year's my rookie year again, but, you know, I feel like you got to live and learn from your mistakes, man. You got to go through stuff. And I feel like I needed to go through last year to appreciate things, appreciate life more, and appreciate this game more. So I'm taking everything step at a time, a game at a time. And, like, you know, I'm like, I've made way bigger jumps from last year to this year. So, yeah, I'm. I'm pleased with my game, and I've left some plays out there and stuff. But, you know, I'm learning from them every game, so, yeah. LJ, we've had a few guys from Texas on our, our Thursday Hawks Live show. I think we had Ugo Amadi the other day. And you are from Monday, Texas. 1,300 people. My kids, by the way, just moved to Dallas. So, you know, any time okay, I hear somebody from, from Texas, I'm excited. In fact, I'm going to get a chance to go out and see them in a few weeks. But um, you were mic'd up uh, this year. 
You know, so again, here you are, a young man from small town. What, 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 what's it like to be mic'd up? Because I was listening. You're really a positive guy. So what, is it invasive? I'm just thinking about them putting a mic on you. What's that like? And two, are, are you like that or are you aware of being mic'd up along the way? I mean, you kind of be aware of your friends and what you're saying and stuff. But I'm really like, during the game, I'm locked in. I'm really just trying to. I don't really say too much anyway. I'm quiet. I hear it there. I'm an intensive guy, but I really keep it quiet most of the time during the game. Every once in a while, I might say something, but what it was on the mic was what it mostly was like. But if we're say, but yes, sometimes you do kind of watch what you say, just due to the fact that you know you're mic'd up. It it is fun to to watch and listen, and and also to watch you. As a matter of fact, there was two sacks. One was for Monet, and I thought you were the reason for. It. You had a speed rush uh, that you know forced Fitzpatrick to step up in the pocket, and he got a sack. And then the other one, you ran a really nice stunt, which I think uh, Puna Ford got the sack on. And the guard, I don't know, I remember, was the guard couldn't come off, and so Puna got that. And you, you, you know what that came across is you just get excited for other guys success as well and then you know is that something just from your upbringing now i'm a team player first dog it's always just been about shit i'm i'm my teammates excited for when i make plays i'm gonna be excited for when they make plays man i've always been that way and i like winning man i'm on a team for the guys that like to make plays so i'm always gonna be excited for somebody when they make a play man especially when it's a damn good play so yeah, <laughs> and they were good I'm ones a team player man Hey, LJ, you guys have turned this thing around. Beginning of the season, everyone's talking about where are the sacks going to come from and they need to do this and that. But slowly but surely, you guys have gotten together. One, do you listen to all the noise? And two, man, the D-line swag got to be on point right now. Oh, yeah, man. Nobody listens to the outside noise. If you listen to that stuff, man, then why are you going to play? Because everybody gets it and everybody got something to say because everybody feels like they can do it. So now I don't listen to that no more, man. Everybody got something to say on how I should do stuff, how I should play, how many sacks I should have. But no, man, the D-line has came on as a unit. We're locked in. Everybody has a point to prove. Everybody wants to play. Everybody wants it. And really, it's a whole defense. But as a D-line as a whole, like, yeah, man, we said it's time. Like, we waited long enough. So with the, the additions of, like, Carlos and stuff like that, we got some guys come on and things like that. So, yeah, like, I'm pleased to have the D-line played. It's been it's been quite the turnaround. I mean, if you look at the first eight games of the year and, and over the last five games, really you could probably go back six or seven games. No, some people talk about that accountability meeting, but what was it like for Ken Norton for you guys? I mean, that's tough as a coach when you're struggling the first four yards, just from a statistic standpoint. You know, what, what do you think has been the turnaround the last five games? It's called, man. If you know Coach Norton like I do, man, he's a positive guy. He's going to push and he's going to get his best out of people. He knows Bobby. He knows KJ. He knows what, how many plays they've made in the future. I mean, in the past, those guys know, man. They know what they're going to get out of people and they know what they can get out of us. So it's the same week, same thing every week. They push us to be our best. So we try new things. We put, we've learned from our mistakes. So no, man, Coach Norton, like we've done different things like the night before the hotel and things like that. We're talking things out. And so. Yeah, man. It's, it's really been, like, nice and stuff like that. Coach Norton, like, if you know anything about him, man, you know that he's a str- uh, strong-headed guy, man, and stuff like that. So he's going to push forward every week, man. He ain't going to change who he is just for some losses, you know? Yes, yeah, sir. Man, LJ, I always ask this question every chance I get because me and Paul, we're from California. Um, moved up here to the Northwest. You're from Texas. What has the transition been like, and are you enjoying just life in the Pacific Northwest? 
Last year was a little rough with uh, getting dark at four and the rain and the cold. I wasn't doing too well. But this year, I'm definitely I'm cool with it, man. It's just straight. I like it out here, man. It's definitely a, a different transition, a different vibe. I like the I can go home in the off season, get the Texas vibe, and then I can come out here and get a whole completely different vibe. You know, I like it out here. It's well, different, and you know, I like different things. So. It is different because my kids keep reminding me how sunny and warm it is in Dallas. And, hey, Dad, how's, how's the 40-degree weather right now? But, hey, I'm going to take you back to high school. I watched your highlight reel, and uh, you played tight end and, and kind of a weak, uh, I don't know, weak side defensive end that they were, were calling it. But you, you were playing defensive end mostly with your, your hand down. Man, I watched you as a tight end, LJ. Dude, you were about 6'2", like 205, 210. I don't know. You were tall and gangly. But you have some skills as a tight end. Were, were you recruited as a tight end coming out of high school? <laughs> no, nah, man. I went to a type of school where we ran the ball. But every once in a while, my coach would throw me the ball. And uh, I could do a little something with it back in the day. Because you know, I played skill positions all through when I was a kid and in junior high. I didn't switch to tight end to high school because, you know, most of my cousins and friends played running back. And, you know, if you're like I said, I'm a team guy, so I'm to tie it in because shit, I'm six two and shit. And I play DN too, and I could do better for my job right there. But no, I wasn't recruited at it because you know, I wasn't getting the ball enough, and I really didn't have the stats for it. Well, uh, they ran the you ran. I saw the middle screen a couple of times that they they threw it to, you, and there was a couple of go routes. I mean, you, you know, you got skill running the football. You had good hands, and so I, I, I was impressed with you there. So tell me about the recruiting process, because I was looking at it. It said you originally uh, verbal committed com, or committed to Texas Tech. It looks like Baylor was in there. You know, you're you grew up in Texas, not that far from from TCU. But just talk about that whole recruiting experience and how you ended up at TCU. Really, man. I was recruited to Texas. I had a friend that uh, that played there, and uh, they were recruiting him. His name was D. Paul. He was on the team. That was my quarterback. And when stuff went there, things didn't work out with him and stuff like that. And my recruiter, Sonny Comby, went to TCU. And I, and then, like, Tech kind of pulled off after that. They were like, well, we don't really know and stuff like that. And they kind of, like, pulled off, weren't talking to me anymore because I was having trouble getting my uh, ACT scores and stuff. So they thought they were, I wasn't going to make the – Make the uh, be able to get in. And they were talking about gray shirt and me and everything like that. And this is during my basketball season, my junior year, not my senior year of high school. And so I'm just like, man, well, wow, I've been committed here since last year, all this other stuff. And the coach told me this on Tuesday night. So I texted Coach Cumbie and asked him what did he think about Texas, I mean, about TCU. And he said, well, I'll talk to Coach P about it and show him your highlights and see what he says. Well, you know, after that, Tech was out, and he showed Coach P. That was, this was Tuesday. I went through the week. That following, that next Monday, Coach Cumbie called me back and told me the TC was willing that they were going to offer me a full ride. And they, I was, they, they invited me down to the junior days, like, the next weekend. And after that, man, like, I went to the junior day, and that was it. Like, I met, like, a few guys there, and most of them didn't even go to TCU, besides, like, a few of them. It was, like, Austin Slopeman. He plays for the uh, the Denver Broncos now, and, it was just like stuff like that, man, and like, and then I moved in in the summer. Like, I didn't really know anything about TCU. I didn't know much, man. Like, I just knew I wanted to play ball. Like, I just showed up there, type stuff, and I just knew I just wanted to play football. I don't know I didn't want to play on Monday, so that was my way out, and I took it. All right, LJ, man. Let me let me into the the defensive lineman 
uh, film room. Now, if I'm outside looking in, it seems like Dunlap is the, the big personality. It seems like Puna is low-key, but something tells me Puna has a lot more to say than he leads on. Oh, Puna? Yeah, for sure. That's my dog, man. He does have a lot more to say, but he's a quiet, laid-back guy always. All right, so but, I'm going to – go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, no, but for sure, Jay Reed, he's really the head guy in the room, but Los is a, a very – he's a funny personality, man. I like his guy. He, he brings nice swag to him. He brings great energy to the room. But Puna has more to say than you guys think, though. Oh yeah, he's 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 been playing well. You guys got some good young guys. So you mentioned basketball in high school. I don't know too many guys who play in the NFL don't think they're a great basketball player. So on just the defensive line, because Tyler Lockett thinks he's the best shooter on the team, who's the best basketball player on the defensive line? Like an all-around player, I'm gonna take myself any day. But because when we go up and we shoot uh, for the team things, he's always done the best. So. I'm not even gonna sit here and cap like Puna got it right now. <laughs> as far as I play one on one, I'm gonna take myself. But shooting, yeah, ain't picking basketball in so long. So when you're rusty, you're rusty, and he got a shot on him. <laughs> All right, LJ, we appreciate you taking time out of your day. I know what your schedule's like. You guys are back and forth watching film. Have a great weekend and good luck. I appreciate y'all for having me on. Thank you. All right, Paul Moyer, we got you covered all things Seahawks and the NFL as of the professor. John Clayton joins us next on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, brought to you by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hawks Live every Thursday. This is the last Thursday, though, Paul Moyer. I, I shouldn't clap for that. I was just clapping because we have... The man. The man. The man, the myth, the legend. Yes. John Clayton is joining us right here on Hawks Live. John, how you doing? Doing well. How about you guys? You know, we're, we're doing well. We're doing all right. Kind of sad that this is our last one. I am sad. You know what we do? Let's just get on like a group call every Thursday after this, John. Okay, that sounds talk. good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if there's some uh, sponsors out there, we could keep this going. I would think so. Okay. Keep it rolling. John, this Washington football team defensive line is pretty scary. And if Brandon Shell isn't there, I'm a bit concerned. I feel like there are guys who've had experience at that spot. But um, what's the status of Shell right now? Uh, I still wonder if he's going to try to go out there because I know early in the week, even though he hasn't practiced in the last two days, Pete said it's, it's about the same as it was last week. And he almost made it through the first half. So I'm just kind of wondering, are they just saving him from practice to give him a chance to go out there? And, of course, if, if anything goes wrong, then they'll take him out quickly. You know, Cedric Abouye looks like he has a decent chance of playing. Doesn't look good for Jamarco Jones. And that, naturally, they still have Chad Wheeler, but they they need Shell for this one because again you you got five first round defensive linemen that are, that are in a rotation they're that good you got Chase Young who probably is going to end up being the defensive rookie of the year uh, they, and, and you're able to get such great pressure on the quarterback but it was funny because I was actually looking at this right before I came down here to talk to you guys is that okay what what's the similarity with the Washington football team and the San Francisco 49ers. And the answer is those are the two teams that you use more draft choices in the first round on defensive linemen than yeah. anybody else. And so I went back and I looked and 
despite the fact that San Francisco had such a great defensive line last year, particularly with the addition of Nick Boza to go along with three former first-round picks, you know, Seattle was able to score like 27 and 21 points in the two games. And in the first game that they won, I think they scored 27 and had uh, only one sack allowed. And uh, Russell had a good day passing. And then in that last game of the season, you know, he was sacked about five times, but still was able to get some 21 points and really was right down there at the goal line with a chance to get the game tying the game touchdown to try to put it ahead. But then unfortunately there was no, a non-call on Jacob Hollister on that interference that kind of held everything back. So, you know, you can manage as long as Russell Wilson, you know, basically relies on uh, not throwing the ball 40 times. In fact, I just went through this stat is that, uh, you know, in the times that he's thrown the ball 40 plus times, his record is four and 13. So the big thing is, don't let Russ cook. Have a balanced offense. Try to run the football and then uh, try to make sure that Russell gets rid of the ball with underneath routes, check downs, screen passes, and then occasionally a play-action pass. Yeah, you mentioned Washington's defensive line. 17 first-round pick Allen, defensive tackle. 18 first-round pick Payne, defensive tackle. 19 Sweat. And then last year, obviously Chase Young, or this year Chase Young, they're 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 very gifted. Hey, I'm gonna stay on the uh, the injury front. Um, Quentin Dunbar and and Rashad Penny. Just uh, the updates on those two. Well, it looks good on Penny because. Brian Schottenheimer today said he looks great in practice, and he looks fast, he looks explosive, so you kind of get the idea that he's going to be maybe on the active roster for this game just to try to get him back in grain. Now, where would that roster spot come from? Because they have to make a bunch of roster moves this week. Probably Travis Homer because Travis has been fighting that knee injury. But there's a chance, I think, that Penny might be able to get out there and go in and be the third running back. Uh, So that can be good. As far as Dunbar, still kind of shaky because I don't know if they want to risk it with the foot injury. The foot seemed like it's still a little bit messed up. And if that's going to be the case, you save him for the Rams game. But uh, they really do need Dun- Dunlap out, uh, Carlos out there because again T- Carlos is just such a good player you know that they're going to have uh, Quentin Dunbar uh, available because again I think he's through the knee injury you know he's now served out to three weeks that he needed to go so I think he's going to be available so in the, in the end you know it's not that banged up of a team but again the key injuries right now are Dunlap and Brandon Shell. All right John I'm going to switch gears and go Monday Night Football my guy Lewis Riddick who I call Mr. Three-Piece Suit is um, he's up for some GM interviews. Do you, where do you think he'll land, and then who do you think will replace him in the booth? Good question about replacing him in the booth because uh, not sure where that's going to go because it's such a changing thing. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big Lewis guy. I mean, uh, you, that guy, I remember uh, through some connections of different people that were going to take that job, I actually put his name in when I was at ESPN, and sure enough, he ended up getting it. Because am, am, I, I think, am I right in saying this? Paul, you probably know this maybe more. Isn't he related to, uh, related to Nesby Glasgow? I don't know. I think he was. Uh, yeah, Nate, the late Nesby Glasgow. Yeah, the late Nesby, Nesby Glasgow. Yeah. Because I know that uh, you know they were talking to Nesby for a job and it just didn't work out. And so then they were there, and this is at ESPN. And so then uh, the next recommendation, at least I threw in, was Lewis Riddick because that's what Nesby told me to do. And we did it. And look how great he is. But at the moment, he's interviewing in Houston. He's interviewing in Detroit. We'll see if he gets an interview in Atlanta. But uh, I think he's good enough to get one of these jobs. I would never leave the booth. He's got the most cushiony, no stress job in the world. Mm. I, but you know what? It sometimes that that money talks. Well, it's not even money. It's the 
competitive spirit just That's drives it. these guys, you know, to go compete, you know, best of the best. And what's funny, I was actually going to ask that, that question as well. John, if the Seahawks play the same, let's just say they run the table. Yeah. Who's the one team that doesn't match up well for the Seahawks? In the playoffs. Well, of course, I mean, if they win it, I mean, you could say it could be the Rams, but then they will have beaten the Rams and be uh, have one win and one loss against them. Uh, so, and again, because the Rams have such a good defense, which I'm still stunned at because, you know, other than Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald and maybe Michael Brockers, you can't even name the other eight starters. Uh, I'd say, you know, because I think they can match up well against Green Bay. They matched up well last year. Uh, and, you know, Green Bay's still not really good at stopping the run. So as long as they don't let Russ cook too much, I think they can do it. New Orleans, I think, is going to be a tough team because I think that there's more talent. I mean, at one, at one point last week, they entered the week as the number one defense in football. And, you know, Drew Brees should be back by then with a very potent offense. So I think New Orleans probably is the toughest team at the moment. But again, Green Bay more than likely is going to have the game in Green Bay as a number one seed. You know, they close out with such an easy schedule. You know, they should get the 13 wins. John, beginning of this season, everyone's talking about the Seahawks defense, what they can and can't do. But nowadays they've turned it around. Paul Moore spit out some stats for us. They are probably the best defense the last three weeks, depending on how you look at it. So now they are number nine in the league when it comes to sacks. Has this been the biggest turnaround you've seen from a unit when it comes to the Seattle Seahawks? Oh, no question. Because, again, what it was nine sacks in the first six games. And all of a sudden, and I know Dave, David Wyman, or don't we, I call him David, but it's Dave Wyman, you know, David Wyman. <laughs> Uh, we all think that 39, 40 sacks is where you need to be. And for a team that had only 28 last year and nine in the first six weeks, they're sitting there at 36. Think about that. I mean, since what week? Uh, well, really, since two, uh, the Arizona game that they won when they had seven sacks, they've led the league in sacks. I never thought that was going to happen. And they've done it now in the last two weeks without Carlos Dunlap. And so that's good. And, of course, once Dunlap came to this team, he had four sacks in four weeks. That looked good. And then, of course, you know, I, I, I know Paul was fast as far as being in the secondary. Well, maybe not fast. But, the, I mean, to see Jamal Adams have eight and a half sacks in nine weeks. In fact, what I think he entered the week as the 12th best sack guy in football. And he's a safety, which is amazing. Yeah, Jamal and I are about the same speed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, John, success you often lose assistant coaches. We lost Gus Bradley. We lost Dan Quinn. Now there's talk about Brian Schottenheimer. Is there, do you see anything playing out there? There's been talk about maybe Houston and him getting some uh, interest. Yeah, I think he's going to get an interview down in Houston. I don't know about any other place. And the reason for his uh, interest in uh, the interest in him in Houston, I mean, he was a quarterback coach down in Houston, so they know him down there. And so that could be that could be a fit. But you know, it's going to be tough competition if that's going to be the case because you have Eric Bieniemy who's going to be in there. I think Eberflus, the defensive coordinator in Indianapolis, is going to be in the mix. And you know, what's interesting. Thing is that uh, and and this is what you kind of wonder because they they've got too many cooks in the kitchen I guess you want to say not with Russ Cook but it goes the ownership cooking right now because you know not only do they have Jed Hughes as the guy that is running the search but also as a GM they now have a committee a committee uh, that has Tony Dungy and several other former players and former executives around the league that are trying to at least go in there. So you kind of wonder, it's like, is that too many? Because basically, I hate to say this, but the owner, uh, Cal McNair, knows very little about what to do in football. So he's hired just about everybody to work both jobs, the coach and the GM. 
John, two two questions, or I don't even two questions. I guess there are two questions. One is, uh, I'm about to give you the floor. This is your time, yeah. so what's on your mind? But I want you to answer that, and I also want you to, to tie in, as we get towards Christmas, what is your favorite drink as you get towards Christmas? Well, I mean, my favorite drink, because I'm pretty uh, consistent in that, is going to be wine. I was drinking more Cabernet before, but just to kind of, you know, stay, uh, not get too big, I've been going with uh, Chardonnay. So it's like, and that's a, a consistent thing. So it's like, uh, it was funny because... Uh, one of the, one of the people I was talking to today said, "Hey, where's a good place to buy cheap scotch?" And it's like, I have no idea. I mean, it's like, you know, certainly I like Coors Light. There's no question about that. You know, love that because you know it's such a great taste in that regard. But uh, pretty much, I'm mean, I'm a big kind of a Chardonnay guy. Uh, but it, I guess Chardonnay and Coors Light would be my two favorites. Now, as far as you know, at, you're asking me, it's like what people haven't asked is how did how does the schedule look going down the stretch? And it's kind of amazing. And that's why it's going to be so interesting in watching the result of the Charger game against the Raiders because in the final 48 games of the season, including tonight, there's 40 games, 40 games where a winning team is facing a losing team. There's only wow. eight games right now where a winning team is facing a winning team. And there's only one this week where you have Kansas City going against New Orleans. And so next week there's going to be maybe five. And you look at it and you say there's only two teams right now that have that are winning records, playoff caliber teams that have to face a winning team twice. One is Pittsburgh because they have to face Indy and Cleveland. And then the other is the, uh, you know, the Rams because they have to face Seattle and Arizona. But I'm just amazed to think now, are upsets going to play into it or it's going to be like this year where roughly 90% of the times a winning team took on a losing team, uh, the winning team won. That is a great statistic, and I would stay with Cabernet. Yeah, Cabernet is good. Yeah. Yeah. All right, John A., will you sip that Cabernet, and if you really want to cook it, Get some Pullman water, bush light, baby. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John, you have a good night. And as always, this is the last time we're going to say this. You stay funky, baby. Yeah, but of course, we'll get to talk Sunday. Yes, we there will. Thanks, John. <laughs> All right, is this is the season NFC Championship or bust? Will Brian Schottenheimer be an NFL coach next year? And did Lamar Jackson do what we think he did last night? On Monday, last Monday, come on, guys, on Monday, Paul Moore and I turn up the heat on Talk That Talk right here on Hawks Live. Say it with your chest. It's time to Talk That Talk with Michael Bumpus and Paul Moyer on Hawks Live. One of my favorite segments of all times is Talk That Talk. Me and Paul Moyer get some stuff off of our chest. Yeah. So the first eight one. Eight and one. Eight and one? Paul. Nah, more like one and eight. Yeah. Hey, and side note, I caught you in the Sunday uh, predictions. Four. Four wins. I know. I'm wins. proud of you. All right. <laughs> I am. Thanks, Dad. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The first question I'm going to ask you, Paul Moyer. If the Seahawks don't advance to at least the NFC Championship this season, is it a failure? No, it's not. Um, not at all. And let's start where the beginning of this year started, okay. what the predictions were for the Seahawks. They were predicted to be in the top three in the mm-hmm. NFC West. And they start off 5-0 and in, in the rest of history. But here's why. Um, to me, this was a bit of a rebuild year for the Seahawks and what they've done. 
And if you go and look at the median starting age for the Seahawks, and there's the guys who have played, and I'm going to go down this a little bit, so give me a little time. It's four years. If you go and look at the average age of this team on starters, it's four and a half years. And so I just want to say, what's the upside, right? So I've got one, two, three. I've got six guys, uh, six guys who are 30 years and older. Russell Wilson. Yep. Do we still have upside? Yep. I would say yes. Um, I have Carlos Hyde in there. I'm going to skip him because really he's a backup. But he big time playing time. I'd say he's on the second half of his career. Other Carlos. Yeah. Um, Carlos Dunlap, I would say probably in the second half. But still very – these are all productive guys. Yeah. KJ Wright, guys, I'm telling you what, he's got fountain of youth all of a sudden. He's playing the best football he's played maybe in his career the last two years. But, again, there's another third. Bobby Wagner, still really productive. Maybe not where he was, you know, a few years ago, but but pretty productive. Um, you got Upati. You got Dwayne Brown. Those are our 30 and older guys. Yep. So now I'm going to go through these real quick for you. Michael Dixon, I'm going to throw a special teamer, third year, upside up. Jason Myers, he's in his uh, sixth year. So I took all guys who are six years and under. Yep. Um, you got DK Metcalf, upside. Yep. Uh, Tyler Lockett, sixth year, upside. Yep. You got Shaquille Griffin, fourth year. Ugo Amati, second year. DJ Reed, third year. Chris Carson, fourth year. Jamal Adams, fourth year. Quandre Diggs, sixth year. Jordan Brooks, rookie. You've got uh, Kyler Fuller, by the way, who I think is going to be a play. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And he He's in his fourth year. Um, you go to uh, Jordan Simmons. I think he's going to be a player fourth year. You've got rookie Damian Lewis, a huge upside. Um, Brandon Shell. Brandon Shell's in his fifth year. Mm. Come on. All right. That, by the way, it might be the best signing we've had from the value from that standpoint. You got Ethan Posick, fourth year. David Moore, fourth year. You got Colby Parkinson. I think he's going to be a player. Yeah, he is. I, I, I was shocked what I saw last week. Obviously a rookie. Um, you got Will Disley, third year. Uh, Jaron Reed, fifth year. L.J. Collier, second year. Rasheem Green, third year. Puna Ford, third year. Alton Robinson. I didn't even mention Taylor, who hasn't even played. We are a young football team. Yes, you are. Yes, and we started off hot, right? Now we've got everybody healthy. Our defense is coming around. So if we don't get to the NFC Championship, will I be disappointed? Yes. Failure, not a chance and what I think you know John Schneider's put together this team the average that's 32 players average years of experience four and a half the median if I take some of the guys who've been 10 years is four years that's a young team you ought to be excited disappointed yes failure not a chance your thoughts Failure. You know why? Because I'm a ball player, baby. This is what you expect. These guys expect to be in the NFC Championship. Failure? Pete Carroll expects to be in the NFC Championship. Ken Norton, Schottenheimer, Schneid, they all expect to be in the NFC Championship. You list all those young guys. This is a young man's game, Moyer. You got get. You got a team full of 30-plus-year-olds. You, you got a team full of 33-year-olds. You expect to win an NFL Championship? No, you need the 24s. You need the 25s. You need the 26. Agreed. And, and that's that's what these guys have. So I think because I feel like I'm in the locker room, I'm in the film room, I put myself, I wore number 16 back in the day. I can't wear that number because 16 is balling. Okay, so put me in a number that no one else wears. All right. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? If we number don't, one. if we don't, if we don't at least make the NFC championship, it is a failure because those are their expectations. I, I mean, I gave my reasons. So why don't you text in what you think? <laughs> failure. I mean, failure is 
look, failure to launch. There's a lot of failure. <laughs> Failures just feels like, man, I suck. Right? I, I Disappointing. Th- think about who's in the NFC, uh, the NFC as well. Man, New Orleans with Green their Bay. defense. If you bring Br- Drew Brees back, Green Bay, Tampa Bay, bit of an underachiever at this point, but they're still loaded with talent. We still have the Rams, you know, that we got to deal with. There's so much talent in the NFC, and there's tough matchups. The, the only reason why I'm saying it's not a failure, I think a failure is, man, this is, this is, it's, it's Super Bowl or bust. It's NFC Championship or bust because the next year, San Francisco next year, they have 40 guys they have to resign. Not yeah. happening, right? Yeah. They're going to be in the decline. We kind of rebuilt what we did, and we got guys who were young like Jamal Adams. Uh, I think Diggs. You know, the guys we've gotten, all the rookies who have played, every rookie has contributed so yeah, far think, other I than I think Taylor. the difference is failure to me means you didn't reach your goals. And, goals and, or and, and, expectations. That's that's good. I can see where you come from there. Me is goals, right. right? I failed to reach my goal, therefore I'm a failure in that sense. Overall, as an organization, not a failure at all. The, the you, way what these guys have done has been really impressive. It with has the been. guys they brought in, what Snyder has done, how the defense has rebounded. So I feel you. I think this is all perspective of how we look at the definition of things. So can I ask you, and we'll keep this real quick. What was your goal of the Seahawks coming into the season? NFC Championship. Did you think so? Yeah. yeah. By the way, you have not failed on Hawks Live. You have exceeded hey, expectations. Hey, nor have you, my friend. All right. <laughs> well, quick point you got to think about is what's what's failure, what's not. The team went to the divisional playoffs and lost last year. So if you don't do better than last year, what do you think? Is that disappointment or failure? It's a dif- difficult question. I think it's disappointment, not failure, to your point. But if you don't do better than last year, it's hard to be satisfied with that. Yep. Yeah. I, I, look, I, I will be very, very disappointed if they don't. The voice of reason blessed us he right now. He does have that nice little calm voice. Right, you know. You know, it's, it's good. Yes. <laughs> Dad, yes, we'll get home very safe. Um a weird incident happened the other night. Lamar Jackson, did he pull a Paul Pierce on Monday Night Football? Okay, so for all of you who don't know what a Paul Pierce is, I forget what playoffs was that, Nas? That was about three years ago. It was against the Lakers, was, right? So yeah. we're talking like 2009, 2010. Yeah, somewhere, yeah. somewhere around there. Paul Pierce gets carried off of the court, put in a in a wheelchair. He's off. We're thinking it's all over. All of a sudden, he comes trotting down the tunnel. He's ready to go. Then he comes back and he plays pretty well. Um, turns out he just had to do a number two. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to go sit down on a toilet. Yeah, he had to sit. He couldn't move. I get it. I've been there before. Not in, on that stage. So is that what we saw with Lamar Jackson? It's hard to tell because on his way in, the, the cheeks seem kind of tight, and he's, and he's kind of getting in there. But on his way out, the cheeks still seem kind of tight. So it's like maybe that muscle was still tight. I'm going to go with Lamar and say that he really had some, some muscle tightness, some cramps, and had to figure that out. But if it was a Paul Pierce situation, does that make the, the legend that much greater? Whew, there's so many things to go with this. So... Uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna make myself vulnerable here. Okay, <laughs> so my sophomore year in college, I had this massive back pain, like I could barely move. My trainer came up to me and he was he goes, "Do you have to go to the bathroom?" I go, "No." And he goes, hey, "I want you to go to the bathroom." I swear to God, I went to the bathroom. My back didn't hurt anymore. <laughs> so that was one. Two, I've never seen though during a game a guy leave in the middle of a game. And Dave Wyman has the best bathroom stories he should write a coffee book on bathroom <laughs> stories because he has more accidents than anybody i know a good one. and he but most of them happen before the game once you're in the game i mean you can kind of control that urge right 
So I've never seen a guy leave that long, and he was gone a long time. I mean, that's a long time to go sit. He said he had to go get some IVs. I saw the video when he was jogging in the tunnel and through to, to go to the locker room. Yeah. And when he got to that door, it was that moment. It, lo- it looked like we're, get out of my way. I got to go. And I know that I'm going to have to get these tight pants off. And I'm worried about it. Um, I think he I think he had to go sit down. But that was a long sit for a, an important game. But I will say this. Lazarus number two came back. <laughs> There's a pun in there somewhere. Yeah, Someone yeah. gets that. I got you. Was one of the great comebacks yeah. of all time. Fourth and five. The guy hurts his knee, the backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. He jogs out after finally wiping and comes back and leads the team. <laughs> leads the team through a touchdown on fourth and five. All right. Here's my question to you, Moyer. Yeah. Are the Seahawks this defense, yeah. right? They haven't had the greatest year when you look at their numbers. Are they more of a bottom five defense right now or more of a top five defense? That is such a – that's a tough – well, it's a great question because we knew what happened after the first eight games and really the first five games historically on pace for the worst team in, in, in history for defense. Their last five, they're playing number one. Not even top five, number one. I think they're closer to top five, and I'm not sure they're either. I, I don't think they're really – they're not bottom five. I'm, I don't think maybe they're top five. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to play out the next few weeks. I want to see how they do against the Rams. Um, we don't have a lot of a great offenses we're going up against. I think we're probably a top ten defense, though. I really do. I think the talent's there. But the question is – Better top five or bottom five? I think we're closer to a top five than certainly a bottom five. Yeah, we I, will not finish from where we started. Bottom five in defense. No, no, I, I would, I would give them middle of the pack right now. If we're just gonna throw a number out there, middle of the pack, and that's saying a lot. Take it coming from where they started. You know what I mean? So now they are here. All right. Well, coming up next, we'll go inside the film room and revisit the biggest plays from the Seahawks' win over the Jets. That's around the corner on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, brought to you by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Hawks Live every Thursday, but this is the last Thursday you will hear me, Michael Bumpus, and my guy, Paul Moyer, on 710 ESPN, and we're live from Lumen Field. Okay, we're going inside the film room. This is when Paul and myself break down three plays and tell you what we're seeing. The first play we're looking at is when Russell Wilson finds Freddie Swain for a 19-yard touchdown. Play fake. Russ going to scramble out to the right side. Look at him in the back of the end zone. He's got it for a touchdown. Seahawks. It's Freddie Swain, the rookie, standing all by his lonesome on the back line. Of the end zone, and he catches the touchdown pass, his second on the season. And the Seahawks are on top, 6-3 on an absolutely beautiful drive to open this game for the Hawks. All right, so, Moore, this this was hard for us to break down. There's a lot of stuff going on and a lot of stuff going wrong. It's the most you and I have argued about a play that we both thought was a no-brainer. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, offensive guys are they're insane. <laughs> but go ahead. Go ahead and describe this. All right. I'm, I'm going to give you my perspective, the offensive side, and then we'll talk to Moya over there. He'll give you the defensive side. <laughs> All right. So it, w- what we got here is, um, is a simple 
two receivers at the top, one at the bottom. The tight end, Kobe Parkinson, releases, okay? And uh, the part that kind of hung us up is why didn't Russell Wilson hit Parkinson in the seam? Um, we think there was a communication issue. This is a rookie tight end dealing with a veteran quarterback who knows what he sees. He sees that linebacker to that tight end side is tucked in. In my perspective, he looks early to Colby. Colby's running the seam. He doesn't get his head around until it's too late. At that point, Russell Wilson is now looking to the other side of the field, and there's a a safety in the middle of the field who just doesn't get depth. I've never seen a, a, a safety who has deep responsibilities, and he just doesn't get depth. On the on the right side, we have the other safety going to the deep third, another corner going to the uh, deep third, and now that corner flies down to the flat. It's chaos, it looks like, on this play. And Russell Wilson buys some time and finds the open man. This is one of those plays where you just scratch your head, you tell your guys, hey, what were you thinking? What'd you see? Paul yeah. Moyer, what are you thinking? What'd you see? Well, I, I think this probably um... – tells a story better than anything of how difficult this game is because you broke it down and you were sh- sharing well there's no throw there so uh, let me let me re-describe this first of all it's a four receivers and i'm going to count the tight end as a receiver even though he's in tight it's an all go right so i have both outside receivers release outside yep deep both the inside receivers, the tight end and the slot, they run down the seam. So it's, this is an all-go route, right? Yep. So I'm looking at this, and Brock Heward actually sends me this clip too yesterday. And he goes, Paul, what defense are they playing? I look at it really quick, and I go, oh, they're trying to disguise a form of cover two robber. And what that means is they drop like their nickel and another safety like to the deep half, and they – take their free safety like he's a deep third, but he doesn't give any depth. He's playing like a Tampa two. So if anybody runs down the middle, he takes them. I would never run this in the red zone area because it it gets, it gets complicated. Well, then I re look at it again. I go, what are they running? They take both of their, that their safety and their, I just call it a nickel, I guess. And they run outside hard and they force both receivers the corners outside and they bring the the two uh safeties i'm gonna say safety and a nickel and they run them like a deep third right so so now i'm like okay well the free safety this is really a cover three a three deep look you got a free safety and then the two guys are replacing the two corners as the deep third guys so they're running outside the two corners are playing essentially a cover two, even though you would never let the cover two guys go outside. That's why this is a three deep look. Here's the weakness of a three deep zone. The weakness of a three deep zone is seam routes. So you always teach the people run with the seam routes if you're a linebacker or whoever's got the hook routes, right? Neither one of these linebackers run with the hook route. So both of the number two receivers running the go down the seam are wide open. Yep. But what was interesting is you said Russell looked at – it was Parkinson. Yep. And he wasn't looking back at him, so he said, I can't throw it to him. Mm-hmm. I never thought about that before. So Russell comes off it quick, which he shouldn't have, in my opinion, because if he just waited a fraction of a second later, he would go, this is wide open, this is, this is stealing. He comes backside, doesn't see that one either. He scrambles out, and anyways, the rest is history. I think he just did it on purpose to get Freddie Swain the touchdown. But I, the reason why I'm going to come back to my original comment, and this is really long and I apologize, but 
This is how complex and how quick of decisions you have to make. Russell looks, he goes, receiver's not looking at me. I feel the rush. I got to get side. I'm going to come backside. See him. See him's not there. Okay, and all of a sudden, Freddie Swain works backside, which, by the way, Freddie was probably the fifth guy he was going to look for, <laughs> and he gets the touchdown. Yep. Freddie. And that's why we pay Russell Wilson 30-some, 40 million bucks 35. a year. Woo. Whatever it is, it's worth it. It's worth it. Russell Wilson showed his worth on that play. Okay, the next play, Russell Wilson finds David Moore for a three-yard touchdown. Russ gets the shotgun snap, looks to the end zone, steps away from one man, throws to the back of the end zone, touchdown, Seahawks, David Moore loses his defender under the goal post, makes the catch. That play made by Russell Wilson, who had somebody grab a hold of his foot. He shook him off and said, get away, I got a touchdown to throw. And he does. David Moore from three yards out. The Seahawks lead by 33. All right, this play down here, the ball is on the four-yard line. You got a trips formation to the right side of Russell Wilson. And I believe... Um, I filled in for Bob this week on the Bob and Dave, Dave and Bob show. It's a Wyman and Bob show. It's a Wyman. Is that what it's called? Wyman and Bob? Mm-hmm. Okay, excuse me. The Wyman and Bob show. And we talked to David Moore, and he talked us through this. And pretty much what he said was, he goes, look, I'm the third option right here. You have DK at the number three receiver closest to the line, um, excuse me, to the offensive tackle. He runs a hitch. Then you have the number two receiver, number 16, Tyler Lockett. He runs a hitch. So they're looking to hit it quick. Now, Demo's responsibility is work the back of the end zone and if anything if they if they jump on on the hitch then you get the football and that's exactly what happened you you're gonna you're gonna account for 14 you're gonna account for 16 83 you're gonna sleep on i don't know why you sleep on 83 but you're gonna sleep on 83 he does exactly what he's supposed to do he works the back of the end zone makes a play all demo does is make big plays six touchdowns as the number three receiver on this football team but i feel like you saw something else paul no i want to simplify this for me and it's it is really interesting, and the reason why I love the segment is you come from an offensive side. I look at from a defensive side, and you're right. Look, the weakness in when you get towards the goal line is the back of the end zone. Yeah. I'm a defender. I see what's in front of me. I know I don't have to give a lot of depth. And so if you have a quarterback that sees it and you work a, the back of the end zone, you you got to drill it, right? Yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I'm only a step or two away, so – when you throw that, you you better know that it's more than a step away for me. Yeah. Um, and and this was happening. This is the the simplification of this is first of all, Damian Lewis gets run over, and Damian, as you're listening to this, which I know you do every Thursday night, um, <laughs> I think you're the best rookie guard in the league, and you've been nothing but awesome. Yep. But he gets run over, and the guy who runs over him grabs Russell Wilson's foot. And Russell Wilson just has the presence to wait for his last option, Mm. which I think is now two touchdowns, our last one and this one. And so, you know, nothing magical other than Russell Wilson makes how much a year? 35 mil. He's worth 36. 36. Maybe 37. (laughs) Maybe 37. All right, this next play, Jaron Reed sacks Sam Darnold for a loss of six yards in the third quarter. Darnold takes a shotgun snap, four-man rush by the Hawks. Darnold gets hit. Darnold's going to go down inside the 15. Jaron Reed is going to get credit for this sack. And for Reed, that's four and a half on the season for him. 
you know, the nice thing about the Seahawks, and I think you mentioned, you know, we're we're one of the top sackers certainly over the last five, six games, and even now, you know, throughout the year we are. And we're we're not blitzing a crazy number. A lot of people are like, oh, we're blitzing like crazy. No, we're 33 34%. It's kind of middle of the pack. And, Jaren, what we're finally starting to see now is we're allowing our best players to be freed up. Jaron Reed, remember a couple years ago when he had 10 sacks? Jaron Reed can win one-on-one matches. Here he actually gets double teamed. It's it, to me, it's a hustle sack. It's a coverage sack, and we're starting to get all of that. Someone said to me uh, earlier in the year, well, "What's wrong with our our pass rush?" It's not just the pass rush. It's it's playing the defense that stops the short passes. Yeah. It's playing contested uh, coverage behind it. You, you got to have it all to have a great pass rush and get sacks. And this, to me, just you know, glorifies you know what we've been doing. And um, really excited about all of our pass rush. I mean, you, you think about now across the board. We had L.J. Collier on earlier and what he's doing. And um, you throw in. Um, uh, uh, Jaron Reed and you throw in hopefully we get Dunlap back as well which I hope hopefully we will you throw in Jamal Adams you throw in uh, um, uh, Bobby Wagner we're now a force in in the pass rush and we have a secondary that's starting to cover tight so starting to make some big plays yeah the thing I like about this play is everyone got involved you got the one tech I believe that might be Puna Ford um who gets off of his matchup and forces Darnold to step up. Then you got Alden Robinson flying off the edge, gets him to step up, which allows Reed to make this tackle. That is a perfect example of it takes everybody to get this done on that defensive line. All right, well, will we be seeing a seven-game season in 2021? Is Jalen Hurts the real deal in Philly? So much to unpack from Week 14. Paul Moore and I take it around the NFL. Coming up next on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, brought to you by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hawks Live every Thursday. This is the last Thursday we will be here. Me, Michael Bombas, with my guy Paul Moyer from Lumen Field on 710 ESPN. And now we get to go around the NFL. Paul Moyer. Yes. Do you expect the owners to move to a 17-game season in 2021? So there's talk that they're losing about two hundred million because no fans. I don't know if it's per team, and I don't know if it's median average, whatever it is. But they're losing some serious revenue. Yeah. Are you kidding me? They're going to seventeen games. They have to go to seventeen games. And and there's a couple things in there. They just signed a new collective bargaining agreement a year ago. They, they did some things to help guys like me that in you that were in the league for, for pensions and they have a lot of really cool things now from health insurance and mental and all, to help all that costs money yeah they ha- have to go to it and he, and here's why the players are going to for sure agree to it if if all of a sudden that salary cap drops, Russell Wilson says, okay, I'm about to get a new contract. Said, hey, Russell, you're going to get 16% of the salary cap, and you're going to make less this year than you did last contract. Yeah. Uh-uh. They're going to 17 games. Yeah, you, you hit it. It's all about the money. 17. And, it's, and by the way, it ain't just for the owners. It's no, for the players, For the too. players, too. Yeah. It's, you're, you're making up a deficit. There's, yes. There's a lot of money that was lost. So it makes sense to go 17 games. I think the guys that are kind of going to fight it are the guys who don't have a lot 
or not like the really high paid guys, guys who are kind of in the middle, kind of like, okay, how do I benefit from a 17 game season? You get another check, but you're probably going to get paid around the same. So uh, I think they're going to go 17. All right, so with that, two game preseason. Are you with it or against it? I'm going to tell you, as a guy who needed needed the preseason to make the football club, I'm against it. Because, honestly, I only had three preseason games. The third preseason game of the year goes to the veterans to get their three-and-a-half quarters in, and they get the bulk of the reps. I needed needed to play against the Raiders and the Bears and the Vikings and the Broncos. I needed those games to make the ball club. So, for a guy who's trying to make the team, I think that cuts them short. If they're going to go two preseason games um, there needs to be more uh, what do you call those dual practices when teams link up and, and practice scrimmages scrimmages because now you get to see yes. these guys live against other guys I guess I'm okay with it if they do something like that the, it, that's where it's going by the way the four games is bye-bye it's gone. gone and it's gone because of this year they had zero and they still filled to the team they were still able to assess the players I, I, th- I think what you're going to find is, what if I could, for you, Michael, and myself, we're both free agent guys, we, we made it, and, and by the way, I don't think I made it because of the preseason games. I made it from all the practices and the offseason. The, some of the preseason games just quantified what I did, right? But what if I said, Michael, here's the deal, I'm going to get you the same amount of playing time in two games as you could get in four, because I'm not playing Russell in these two games. I don't need to. I'm playing for a half just to kind of feel it out. But we're going to get it all in the OTAs. We're going to get it all in the practices. They have, they're have they adapting along the way. Yeah. I don't think they need four games. The fans don't like four games. Let's go to 17 games, two preseason games. There's more revenue. And I think they were already found out I can assess – any player, free agent, rookies, all that stuff, and make. It I work. like the four games. I like seeing guys. Stop it! Who, I really do. I like seeing guys who probably won't make this team that I know from. This guy played for West Virginia. He made this play on Sports Center. He made the top ten. Let me see what this guy does. I like seeing because for a lot of these guys, this is it. They're going to get these four preseason games, and then you're going to go sell insurance after this. Like Nothing wrong with th- insurance. Th- nothing wrong with insurance, but <laughs> you're going to go and do something else. So there's a spot in my heart that appreciates this, but I also understand the business of it. And if they've proven that they can put out a product that's still good without all these games, then, yeah, it makes sense business I think the product will be good. Again, I came from – there was times there was three a day, so there was plenty of practice film to, to assess the player. I think you brought the, – the, uh, the very beginning. If they can do scrimmages yeah. with just rookies and first and second year players, mm-hmm. I think they'll be able to get all the film they need. Yep, I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. Jalen Hurts, man. Oh, Filled man. in. Carson Wiz, Doug Peterson. I this. feel like Doug Peterson was forced to put him in. He didn't want to do it because he knew that if Jalen Hurts went out there and did his thing, which he did enough, 17 of 30, 167 yards, one touchdown, but he, he rushed for 106 yards. The Saints haven't given up a 100-yard rusher in 55 games. In this game, they gave up two with Hurts and Sanders. Is this the right move? Well, first I'm going to ask you, did they win the game? Yes, they did. They did. So what does this remind you of? And forget the game because it's a different circumstance. What has Jalen Hurts always done? Win. Thank you. Yep. All right. The other part is, was he in a competition with a quarterback that had a huge contract? Okay, now I'm going to bring you back 10 years, nine years ago. Uh-huh. There's a guy named Russell Wilson. Young Russell. What has he always done? He wins. Wins. Competes. Who is he competing with a huge contract? A guy named Flynn, Flynn yeah. who just signed a four-year big deal. 
You put people who are winners, and I'm not even discounting Wentz. I, I mean, he was a winner. There's something about him I like. He could still be a winner, but it, it's just not working. Hurts wins, and it doesn't matter if it's throwing it, running it. He can do both. I like the guy. I like him a lot. You stick with this guy. The reason why that Peterson is saying, I'm not sure, is that the commitment to, to Wentz and his contract is so huge yeah. that he, he, he's got to leave a little room to wiggle. Hurts is their future. Not only does Hurts wins, he competes. He lost his job to Tua, went to Oklahoma, still got it done. Yep. All right. Now, Winner. MVP. Yeah. If you are picking an MVP right now, the four, uh, the guys in the front, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, maybe Henry. So, Russell's not even in the factor nah, anymore. No, he's not. Too many turnovers. Unbelievable. Too many, is it? Too many turnovers. I mean, he's second in, in touchdowns. He's, he's he, I was looking at uh, attempts. Completion. So Russell is seventh in attempts, second or third in completions, or maybe for, I don't even know what it was. And I looked at Aaron Rodgers, and if you did the math there, you go, well, Russell's actually better. Not yards, you know. Aaron got 39 I, touchdowns. Look, Paul. it's hard. I don't like Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> I don't like him. So it's hard for me to do it. So Patrick Mahomes, I'm kicking out Rodgers. Derrick Henry, I love. I mean, he's 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 phenomenal. I'm gonna throw another one in there, and it's and this guy was playing for any other team. Mm-hmm. Dalvin Cook, he leads all scrimmage yards yep. outside of a quarterback, but mm-hmm. receivers and and running backs combined yard. I think he's got 1,600 and some yards already. He's gonna go close to over 2,000 total yards. Are you kidding me? Are yeah. you kidding me? Yeah, he's from Minnesota. It's up in the north, I don't know, north Midwest. And they're six and seven. I, and I get six it. And seven. I get, but what's Tennessee? But Derrick Henry, Better than man. six and seven. But you know what? Here's the thing. Derrick right. Henry, just the way he he prances, baby. I mean, that is, he he just looks good. He, he looks he looks like a but reindeer me, out there with I, knees up, getting full. Dalvin I mean, Cook. I, I appreciate Dalvin Cook. If, if I had to choose a back that would help my offense, I'd probably pick Dalvin Cook because I feel like he can do more. But Derrick Henry, downhill, boom. Do you remember when Russell Wilson was the guy? I mean, eight inners. I mean, some of them were, you know, bad ones. Some of them were just, I'm just trying to make something happen. They're going to call you a homer now more. Ah, Russ had some bad decisions. Love him. Don't want any other quarterback. And Aaron Rodgers. Russ is out of there. It might be right. 39 touchdowns. Not happening. He's boring. (laughs) He, he Forget tosses his person- women aside. That's what they say about He's- Russell. You're talking personality. We're talking football I know. right I'm now. I'm in personality mode right All now. Right. It's Christmas. All right. He's in personality mode. We'll wrap this thing up. Coming up next on Hawks Live. Hawks Live. Brought to you by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hawks Live with me, Michael Bumpus. And my guy, Paul Moyer. This is the last time you are going to hear us on a Thursday. You'll hear us on Sundays. But there's nothing like a Thursday from Lumen Field I on 17 I feel the pain in you right now. There's pain, You're going to miss me. I am going to miss can you. Tell. Can we just, like, link up regardless? Every Thursday night, we'll just do a 7 and 9. We'll just do it. My wife doesn't listen. We'll, we'll just, I'll just keep really? telling her that uh, I got a Thursday my show. My wife listens. And when I get home, she critiques me and yeah, well, what I say. She says, she, the first couple shows, she goes, you need to stop talking and let 
bump talk more. You got to listen to him. Ask him questions. You got to treat me like, you know, when you're like your fifth, sixth year in marriage where you got to listen. You know, you want to. <laughs> 32 years of marriage. <laughs> I think she was really saying to me, you need to listen to me more. But she was using you. Hey, I'm glad I can help, Paul. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad I can help. Oh, man. All right, so these Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. We mentioned earlier that I felt like if they don't get to the NFC Championship, then I'm gonna I'm gonna change my language because I spoke to you and NASA on during the break, and failure just means it it doesn't feel the same as disappointment. To me, failure means different. Like I failed a lot, so I take failures and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna go. But for the masses, disappointment is probably the word that we should use if they don't. Like NASA Chobi, our producer said, if they don't do better than last year in the playoffs, then it's definitely a disappointment. If they don't get to the NFC Championship, it's a disappointment, but less of a disappointment than if they don't do better than they did last year. Well, this year's so so weird, anyways, right? Uh, you know, home field advantage doesn't mean anything. You know, you're just traveling, and I think when you get to the playoffs, I think when you get to the championship game, you're required to be there two days ahead of time. There's no home field advantage. Yeah. Well, there's certainly no home field advantage here. There's a few teams out there that allow some fans. In fact, there was a game last week where I go, wow. I go, it was actually noisy. I, mean, I think it was a Cleveland game. Yeah, against Cleveland Pittsburgh. was noisy. It was noisy. I, maybe they had 12,000. I don't know. Whatever the number was, it was just nice to hear mm-hmm. fans. So I just think this year's different. And, you know, yeah, normally you're fighting hard for the number one seed to have home field advantage throughout. I don't know if it's as important anymore. I think disappointment and failure, they're both going to hurt because you, you just like this team right now. I like this team. There there are times when you go, I don't I'm rooting for them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd lo- I'd like this team. Yeah. And there's been times in the past where I didn't like this team. Favorite Your favorite personality on this team right now? Who? Because there, there's some Great guys. Great question. Man. Well, Jamal Adams is one of them. Yeah. Um, you know, Russell's, you know, he's a mainstay. That's an easy, um, DK Metcalf is m- one of my fave. Damian Lewis. My, my favorite per- is Ryan Neal. After that I interview Ryan. we had, I, it's, it's Ryan Neal. And he comes from a place that we kind of understand, yeah. you know, the free agent, grinding free agent and nothing's given to you. No. Appreciate everything you have in got, life. Got a big brother who, who was in the league, you know, a lot of big expectations brother. on you. So my per- favorite personality is Ryan Neal. My my spirit is Puna Ford. I don't even know much about Puna, no, but there's Puna. something about Puna. Well, here's love. another free agent. Yeah. I mean, here was a guy who was a Big 12 player of the year or defense player of the year, whatever he was, or or all Big 12, you know, very productive college player, another free agent. You know, I mean, we, you and I both had a successful college career. We're free agents. And, and look, I've been with guys who are my best friends, Kurt Warner. He was first-round pick. Yeah. He's one of the greatest people in the world, um, but he was first round pick, and you know he, you know he. There's some expectations, and they, it's it was just different, and and I have some other guys drafted. There's just some expectations, yeah. And my expectation was I just got to fight to win and and play another day. And so there's some guys here. I I just like the the feel of this team. They're having fun defensively now. There, I, there's just not a bad guy on this team, right? The, we and I don't want to say there was bad guys in the past. There's guys who had a lot of success, and we know who they are. Yeah. And it became a problem. We they needed to move on, and we don't have that right now. There's no. nobody who needs to move on. 
Nope. And, uh, you know, I mean, I love Chris Carson. I mean, there's so many great guys here. Cody Barton. Cody Barton. Uh, David Moore. Yeah. Demo. We've talked about him. Will Disley. DJ Reed. DJ Reed. Ah. Who, uh, Ugo Amati, who yeah. we had on a few weeks ago. I would love to go. You know what's been interesting and fun about this year? Every guy we've had on has been such a fun interview. Yeah. And part of it is, you know, we, we try to get person i want to know about how they got here and Mm -hmm. and that brings them back to what brings them back to how did i get here yeah so let's go back to high school when you were nothing we we just had lj collier lj collier was six foot two 205 pounds in high school from monday with a u what are you m-u-n-d-e-r just outside of of um dallas and and fort worth texas um, was recruited a little bit, some Baylor, some Texas Tech. What are we going to be? Ends up going to, to TCU. And it was funny when we asked him that, boy, he just opened up about it mm-hmm. and the recruiting process. Is it? Is it? It's not by coincidence that we get the same feeling interviewing these Seahawk players because yes. Schneider and Pete Carroll know what type of guys they're looking for and they bring them here. So there's going to be some similarities. They're all different in their own way. Yep. But end of the day, you feel like you're talking to just a solid individual. And I yeah. think on the football field, that may take this team a long way, especially if they can stay healthy. I think that's key with this football team. Okay, I know we have to break, but you got all your Christmas shopping done? Hey, wifey is taken care of. No, no, no. The kids oh, are oh. taken care of. I thought you said wifey's taking care of it all. No, 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 no. She's taken care of. How the long you been married? Taken care of. Eleven years in January. When you get to thirty, I tell my wife, buy your own present. Buy your own. You throw the black card. Well, or silver. <laughs> um, it's just look. You know what you want. I don't want to disappoint you. All right. Hey. Well. Special thanks to Sam Fortier, L.J. Collier, and John Clayton for joining the show. Tarek, I appreciate you in the background. Thank you, everyone who's listened to the show this year. Special thanks to Nasha Chobi. Yeah, he's the best man, man. NASA really drives this thing, and he, he puts hates it all when together. we compliment him. He does, but, but he deserves but it. But we're gonna do it every yep. chance we get. Paul and I, man, we had a blast doing it this year. Um, this won't be the last you hear from us. You'll hear us on Sunday pre and post. We'll get together. We we might even start a podcast. Why not, Paul? All right. Okay. Start tomorrow. <laughs> hey, for Paul Moyer, I'm Michael Bumpus. Thank you guys for listening. We appreciate you. We'll talk to you soon. This has been Hawks Live.